Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscamall, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy. We are broadcasting from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina, and this is our second subscriber-only bonus episode. Now, what do we mean by a bonus episode? That means that I am not going to say anything about this episode or that it even exists. I'm not going to tweet about it. I'm not going to put it on Facebook. The only way you're going to know it's here is if you happen to be one of our subscribers, uh, either now or in the future. It's my way of trying to give you all some extra content because I rely on your uh, insights, your feedback, your questions to keep this podcast going forward. What we're going to talk about on this particular bonus episode is the testimony from former FBI Director James Comey. It was kind of the biggest political story from the past week. And even though we're going to have our regular podcast out on Monday, it's something that I'm not going to have the time or the patience to cover in enough detail. But one of the key points of that particular testimony was when the FBI director said this. And finally, did you show copies of your memos to anyone outside of the Department of Justice? Yes. And to whom did you show copies? I asked... um president tweeted on Friday after I got fired that I better hope there's not tapes. I woke up in the middle of the night on Monday night, because it didn't dawn on me originally, that there might be corroboration for our conversation. There might be a tape. And my judgment was I needed to get that out into the public square. And so I asked a friend of mine to share the content of the memo with a reporter. Didn't do it myself for a variety of reasons, but I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel. And so I asked a close friend of mine to do it. And was that Mr. Wittes? No, uh, no. Who was that? A good friend of mine who's a professor at Columbia Law School. Thank you. Now, the person asking questions there is Senator Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine. And the key point was that it confirmed that Comey leaked information about his conversation with the president to a friend who in turn happened to leak that information to the media. And one of the big talking points on both the left and the right has been whether or not what Comey did was lawful. You have a lot of Republicans claiming that his testimony is proof that he is a leaker and what he did was illegal and he committed treason and he needed to be locked up and blah, 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 blah. And then on the Democrat side, you predictably have people saying that it's not illegal because he was a private citizen and these were memos as opposed to actual recordings and a few other reasons. The challenge is figuring out whether or not what he actually did was legal, and if it was legal, what's the basis for it? Because what you'll find is that there's a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that get a lot of stuff wrong on this issue. So this bonus podcast is going to be me kind of giving you the law and kind of offering my two cents on it as to whether or not he did anything wrong. Think of this episode a bit like it's a bonus Law 140. There are two pieces here that could have potentially gotten Director Comey into hot water. The first is whether or not whatever he leaked was classified. The second part was whether or not whatever he leaked was protected by what's called executive privilege. 
And before we get into the law on it, there are a couple things you need to remember. One, this is all just a mental exercise. The fact is, Comey is never going to be prosecuted for what he did. It's not going to happen. If it does, I will, I don't know, we'll come up with some kind of bet that I can take. But I'm telling you now, it's not going to happen. And the other piece is parts of this information that could have been potentially uh, illegal to leak, all that went out the window when he was allowed to testify and the president didn't stop him. So this is really all just a mental exercise for all of us. And the second piece is that the law surrounding high-level communications with the president and his top staff isn't very clear. It's like, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the War Powers Act, something that was adopted after Congress discovered Nixon had been secretly bombing Cambodia back during the Vietnam War. And it essentially tried to limit the president's wartime powers as commander-in-chief. That act has never really been litigated because Congress doesn't want to risk taking it to the Supreme Court and then losing, at which point they will have a serious erosion of their oversight powers. And at the same time, the presidents who have taken troops into hostile territory haven't tried to litigate the issue because they don't want to go to the Supreme Court and risk the law being upheld because then that's going to limit their powers. The same type of principle happens when it comes to the notion of executive privilege. The kind of leading case on the issue is still the United States of America versus Richard Milhouse Nixon. That was a Supreme Court case that happened in the middle of the Watergate scandal. And what happened there was that a grand jury had already indicted several of Nixon's associates. So there was already a criminal proceeding taking place within the judicial branch. The prosecutor on those cases found out about the tapes that Nixon had recorded in the White House and demanded that those tapes be produced because he thought it contained evidence that could be used to prosecute these associates. President Nixon said no. He refused to turn the tapes over, arguing that he had a privilege that shielded his conversations with his top staff from being disclosed to anyone else. Now, the president's lawyers were very good. They made a lot of other arguments beyond that. They first argued that this was a intra-branch dispute because both the prosecutor and the president were part of the executive branch, and it's not something where the judicial branch could intervene. They also argued that the subpoena was uh, facially defective. It didn't comply with the subpoena requirements. And there were a few other arguments that I can't quite recall off the top of my head, but the Supreme Court went through them all, and I'll make sure to have a link to that decision in the show notes. But the main thing that was raised was this notion of executive privilege, the idea that high-level communications between the president and his staff are secret and stay secret uh, because the president needs his advisors to speak candidly, and they can't do that if there's the prospect of their information being provided to the legislative branch or the judiciary. Now, one thing you need to understand is that this was a particularly difficult time for the country because, you know, your president was a crook, despite his assertions to the contrary. And the Supreme Court justices wanted to make sure that the decision was going to be something where they kind of threaded the needle where it would still be taken seriously by the public. If they went uh, too far in either direction, if there ended up being a dissenting opinion, there was always the chance that the executive branch would just defy the judicial branch and you end up with a constitutional crisis. It's really in many ways similar to that landmark case of Marbury versus Madison soon after the country's founding, where the justices tried to answer a difficult legal issue in a way that preserved the public's respect for the judiciary to minimize the likelihood that the executive branch would just ignore the order. 
So Chief Justice Berger went out of his way to work with the associate justices. There were a lot of draft opinions circulated between them so that by the time a final opinion was issued, it was unanimous. It was an 8-0 decision. Uh, Chief Justice, well, former Chief Justice Rehnquist was an associate justice at the time and recused himself because he had worked in the Justice Department. So among the justices who participated in the opinion, it was unanimous. And it became a very lengthy dissertation on the history of separation of powers and the notion of executive privilege. And one of the things that the um, Chief Justice Berger wrote in the opinion was, quote, whatever the nature of the privilege of confidentiality of presidential communications in the exercise of Article II powers, the privilege can be said to derive from the supremacy of each branch within its own assigned area of constitutional duties. Certain powers and privileges flow from the nature of enumerated powers. The protection of the confidentiality of presidential communications has similar constitutional underpinnings. Now, that seems like a very positive statement for the executive, something where, as it's being read from the bench, you would think the president would be happy about it. But as we all know, the Supreme Court ruled against Nixon and compelled him to turn over the tapes. And the reason why was that Nixon's claim for privilege, his assertion, was, quote, depending solely on the broad, undifferentiated claim of public interest in the confidentiality of such uh, such conversations, absent a claim of need to protect military, diplomatic, or sensitive national security secrets. Essentially, the Supreme Court wasn't willing to go completely gung-ho and say there's this blanket privilege that the executive is entitled to, but even beyond that, they were arguing that Nixon's claims were uh, a bit lazy. They just kind of said, hey, when the president does this, that's it. You can't weigh in any further. Whereas had Nixon's lawyers said more that the tapes had national security secrets or anything diplomatically related, uh, the Supreme Court may have gone in the other direction. So keep in mind, that decision was with uniquely bad facts. You had a terrible president in office, his associates are facing indictment, and even uh, even still, the Supreme Court is finding that executive privilege exists and would have actually been, uh, he would have been shielded from the subpoena request had there been this reference to military, diplomatic, or national security secrets. So in this terrible situation, you still have a very broad grant of executive privilege recognized by the Supreme Court. And that is still to this day kind of the leading case on the issue. Now, there's always an argument that executive privilege goes beyond that because in any other situation, you don't have this uniquely bad problem of a criminal trial already pending. So in the Nixon case, had the executive privilege been allowed to uh, go into effect, had those tapes not been produced, it would have affected the judicial branch because there was already a trial taking place. The indictments had already been made. So the justices weren't willing to sacrifice the function of one branch in the name of executive privilege for the other. But in cases where you don't have a trial pending, like you don't have in the Trump situation, there's a argument that executive privilege goes beyond that, that just a plain, unadorned, undifferentiated claim of privilege would apply because the judicial branch itself is not implicated. So that's the first distinction between what Nixon went through and what Trump is going through now. There was a trial pending already in the Nixon case. There is not a trial at all pending in the Trump case. There's an investigation, but that's it. 
The second distinction is that Nixon's case involved a subpoena to produce documents, whereas here there was oral testimony provided by an official in response to a request from Congress. And then the third distinction is that that testimony was being given willingly as opposed to the Nixon case where the executive branch was trying to fight having that stuff produced to begin with. Now, those two, those last two distinctions aren't really distinctions. Like, they are. They're different from the Nixon situation, but they don't really matter. So when you see people talking about them, I would argue that's not relevant. And here's why. So whether or not documents are produced or testimony is given doesn't really matter from the standpoint of classified information or privileged information. It's kind of a distinction without a difference. So, for example, if I'm your attorney and you tell me something that is protected by the attorney-client privilege, it doesn't matter whether I go tell that information to a court or write it down into a memo and give it to a court. Either way, I would have violated attorney-client privilege. The particular form of that testimony doesn't matter. Similarly, whether or not that testimony was given voluntarily goes to the issue of what is called the unitary executive or the unified executive theory of government. The notion is that all the people that work in the executive branch aren't really people for purposes of determining balance of power issues. It's an executive branch as a monolith, and the president of the United States is the head of that monolith. He is the unitary executive. So whether or not Comey was testifying voluntarily If President Trump wanted to prevent him from doing so, under this unitary executive model, he can because it's still a former executive agent and the legislature is trying to get the executive branch to testify through that agent. So the president would be able to block him from doing so. That's part of why when you heard in Comey's testimony that he leaked that information in his capacity as a private citizen, the fact he's a private citizen doesn't really matter. You know, just because I happen to quit as your attorney doesn't mean that your attorney-client privilege goes away. The privilege is owned by the client. In this case, the executive privilege is owned by the president. So knowing all that, normally what Comey did would have been illegal. It would have been unlawful for him to leak information to the press. He could have potentially been subject to prosecution. What happened in this particular case is that the information that was disclosed is something that is not subject to either being classified or to the executive privilege. And the reason why is this notion of declassification and waiver. Now, they're two separate pieces. Disclosing classified information is against the law, period. However, the president is the declassification authority at the top of the food chain. Like there are certain officials that have been decreed by statute can declassify information, but the president as the head of the executive branch is the final authority. He can declassify whatever he wants. So if anything that he and Comey discussed, if the president discloses that to the public, it's now been declassified. You might recall when Comey got fired, there was a reference in the letter where Trump fired him to Thank you for informing me on at least three separate occasions that I was not under investigation. You also had that ridiculous television interview where he admitted that he fired Comey because of the Russia investigation. Go back a couple episodes to, I think it was our May 15th podcast, where the title is No Heroes in Washington, and we talked a bit about the firing when it took place back then. So anything that Comey had leaked first was not classified, because by the president talking about it openly 
had it been classified, it would have become declassified. So anyone you see, like there's this guy, Jack Probosiak, or however you pronounce his name, uh, this guy tweeted out a link to the United States Code criminalizing the disclosure of classified information. That doesn't apply because none of, nothing that Comey disclosed was classified. The next piece is whether or not privilege applied. And just as Trump declassified anything that was potentially classified by talking about it, he also waived privilege by talking about it. So just like with attorney-client privilege, where if the things you tell your lawyer in confidence, you then go blurt out to the public, you have waived your privilege or given that up, the same rules apply when it comes to executive privilege. That can be waived if the president discloses it because there is now no need for confidential communications because the communications aren't confidential by virtue of the president himself. So in his letter firing Comey, in his television interview about the firing, in his tweets about the firing, at every step of the way, the president has been disclosing information, has been waiving privilege on topics of information that ended up being what got leaked to the press anyway. So when you piece all of this together, you have something that had the president stayed quiet about it, had he fired Comey quietly, not talked to the media, not gone to Twitter, Comey theoretically could have been prosecuted. You now have this new scenario where the president did put issues uh, relating to Russia in the firing letter, did talk to the press, did talk on Twitter. He's now given all of this privilege up. So what Comey did was not illegal. Anyone that wants to tell you otherwise is incorrect. What Comey did is not illegal. It's also why he's simply not going to be prosecuted about it. So that's going to wrap up this bonus episode. I didn't mean for it to take quite that long, but wanted to give you guys some background on the law. Go read the United States versus Nixon decision. I will link it in the show notes. But that is the current authority on executive privilege at the moment. And make sure to stay tuned later on for our regular podcast that will be coming out on Monday. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a great week.